when you came in and you were seated, you sat on a little card. I want you to grab that, would you please? And grab one nearby there on chairs spread around. Uh, community meal, Sunday, February 22nd. So next Sunday, we will gather as a community and share a meal. And instructions are pretty simple. Bring a brunch dish to share. I just want to remind you the, the intentionality behind this. It's not just because everybody has to eat, let's eat, uh, but it's for our good. It's for our growth. It's utterly biblical. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit later that's going to stretch us a little maybe, but it's utterly biblical. You, you know, we, we need not be surprised that when we read our Bible so many times, isn't it interesting, there's just a lot of eating going on in the Bible. And it's not just to bit the food in, it's, it's because something happens when we're together, when we share a meal, when we converse, when we care, when we touch one another, near one another, and it really matters. So I hope you will uh, take advantage of that and uh, we will see uh, each other for that meal next week. Could I ask you to stand one more time? One more time, stand together, and then we'll stand at the end of the message. But we have been reciting the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's two questions on the front end that uh, it's not just rote. It is to remind us of why we're here. I mean, this is the biggest question in life. Why, why am I here? What's it about? Where's it all going? What's it about? And these two questions from the catechism remind us it's, it's about the glory of God. And, and, and I've always loved that phrase, you know, obey him. Do what he says. Get it done. <laughs> no, it's to... Enjoy him, you see. And then the means by which that happens, we do that is through his word, which kind of grounds us in our series that we're in now. So let us recite this uh, from the heart as we remind ourselves uh, what matters most. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, today we come to what is probably the uh, most unfamiliar uh, yet self evident doctrine. Of Scripture, It's something that I think we tend to take for granted. We sure don't talk about it much. What I'm speaking about is, on the side screen, God's Word is clear. That, that's a, a doctrine of the church. It's said different ways. You could call it the clarity of Scripture. When this doctrine was formulated, we're going back 1500s, when it was formulated in shape, it was called the perspicuity of of Scripture, and so maybe we can go back to that word, although it kind of confuses us a little, because then you go, that's not very clear, you know what that means. Perspicuity means the Bible is clear. It's knowable. It's understandable. It's livable. Um, you may go, and, because <laughs> we all believe that. Well, I think we do and sort of don't, maybe. Go here with me for a moment. How many of you have picked up your Bible at some time in your life, you know, where you've read it, started reading, maybe you started in Genesis, maybe you start somewhere else, but you read along and you get to places and it's like you get there and you're going, this is, 
confusing. This is fuzzy. This is just hard, you know, and you stop. Literally, I'm raising my hand because I've how many literally raise your hands if you've done that? I want everybody to kind of look around. We all, we all have, I think, if ever made Now, I'm going to take it a step further, okay? And I'll, uh, I'm gonna, an honest response. How many of us, when we've hit that spot, you know, this is confusing, this is hard, I'm not getting anything out of this. this is, how many of you have hit that spot at some time in your life, you took the Bible and you put it away, and you stopped reading it for a period of time. How many of you ever done that? I have. Look around again. You know, many, if not most of us have done that. You understand, when we do that, that, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, we are denying uh, the doctrine that the Bible's clear when we take those steps. Well, in these next few moments, I'm going to try to be clear enough and even brief enough that when I ask you in a few moments to actually give the message, to help give the message, to participate in the message, I, I hope that you will gladly stand up and do that. Yes, I am in a few moments going to hand the mic to you. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to come up here and, and teach per se like this, but I really am going to ask some of you to stand up and actually take a microphone and participate and actually give, engage in, help us practice and live the message, and much like the community lunch and everything else we're doing here, I, I, I truly believe it, it's utterly biblical. Now, we're going to think about the clarity of Scripture in three categories, okay? For the note takers or outlines, you know, you need an outline in your mind. We're going to look at the historical perspective. This is a look back, the historical perspective of the doctrine. We're going to look, it's going to be briefer, we're going to look at the biblical foundation. Is this a biblical doctrine? And then we're going to turn and we're going to say, what are the practical implications? And that's the moment when I'm going to ask you to participate. We've been reading the first two questions of the uh, Shorter Westminster Catechism. And, uh, you know, that actually is drawn from, question and answer, from the larger Westminster Confession of Faith. If you're Presbyterian, this is like music to your ears. You get it. If you're not, uh, I want you to understand that confession, when it was written, many streams of the church have borrowed, adapted that to, to form their own basis, doctrinal truths of the church. And so I think it's helpful to go back to it because further down in the confession, we find a, it's a long, rather longer definition of the clarity of Scripture, but it's a definition, I think, that serves us well today, and it has withstood the test of time. Now, we're going to throw this up on the screen because it's a little longer, and I want to read it and follow along with me as I do, and then I'll draw some points from it. It says this, all things in Scripture are not alike and plain in themselves nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in due use of the ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them, end quote. Now, I know that's a little long and a little older language, but would you agree that you understood, you know, you know that, okay, I, I think I understand that. Let me, let me put it, let me shorten it, let me put it in our own vernacular, okay? What it's saying is this. The Bible 
is plain enough in enough places that what we need to know, we can know. And it can be known by anyone who genuinely wants to know. Now, is that, that clear? Fairly clear? Uh, I'll make it a little narrower, and this has been said many times uh, over the year, over the centuries. Some would just say, take the statement, the perspicuity of Scripture to say this. The Bible is a plain book. There you go. Now let me ask you this question. We're in the history. We're looking back. Go back, Reformation, post-Reformation. Why do you think it was necessary for the church to clarify a doctrine of the clarity of Scripture? You have to think kind of historically what was going on in Christendom. You see, in that day, Luke, you couldn't pick up your Bible, read it, interpret it, and apply it. You, you, you'd be kicked out, you know, it's heresy. Because in that day, I'm going back to that day, the, the church determined what it said, what it meant, and how you live it. The Roman Catholic Church in that day. Uh, Luther himself was so convinced of the clarity of Scripture and the need for me and you, the individual, to be able to read the Scripture, understand the Scripture, interpret the Scripture, and apply it, that it's this doctrine that, that, that drove him to translate the Bible into German. I was listening to Dr. Wayne Grudem teach on this, this topic in pre preparation for the message, and he told this story of Luther. He, he, it drove him to translate it you know, from the Greek and Hebrew and Latin, many people couldn't read it, to German, such that when it was in German, they would announce that the Word of God is going to be read in German in this church. And he said there was more exuberant celebration when they heard the word of God's going to be spoken in German, and this, this time dates it, then when it was announced, Christopher Columbus has discovered a new land. So, so the news comes out, Christopher Columbus discovered a new land. The Bible's going to be read in German in this church. Yes! You know, it's... It's that image, and if you've not seen it, and we may show some, but, but have you ever seen this, the, 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 the videos of a tribe that's getting the Bible in their own tongue for the first time? It will undo you to watch their response to getting the word in their own language. And you and I, you know, this is no, no shame, but just I think a certain reality, um, we have unlimited access to the English Bible. And that unlimited access, I do think, in some ways limits us from appreciating the very thing that we have. Let me make three observations from this definition, okay, about the clarity of Scripture. And I'm borrowing, by the way, and adapting some things from Kevin DeYoung's book. We've mentioned it. Rob's mentioned it. I've mentioned it. Uh, taking God at His Word, outstanding. You read it, you go, that sounds like the series we did. And it should because we borrowed a lot in the framework for our own series. But I'm adapting three things from, from that, changing them just a bit. Three things about the clarity of Scripture, the historical perspective. Some things are clearer than others. Let's just lay that on the table. Let's not ignore that. And do you notice they don't? All things are not as clear. Some things are clearer than others. Clarity does not mean easy. Clarity does not mean 
It's easy. I was working on the message this week and in God's providence, I'm literally working on right around this section, or this is last week, and uh, I got an email from a, 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 a gal in my community group and I just cracked up when I read this. She wrote me, she had no idea what I was doing and she said, Lloyd, I've been reading through the Bible from the beginning and loving every word, dot, 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 until Leviticus. And I just went, oh. She says, how do I make sense of all the laws and rules that God gives Moses? I go, I don't know. Let me look. You know, I want you to know, it's not all clear to me. Don't, you know, don't think I know it's clear. I, literally, when she wrote that, I had to take some time and go, I need to go look at some stuff and send her some things. It's just not all clear to me as well. It's part of the reason, I think, certainly God in the New Testament says he's given us teachers to help us understand these, some of these things that are more difficult. Clarity does not mean easy. Secondly, what matters most is most clear. This is very important. What matters most is most clear. Now, big question here. What matters most? First uh, Timothy 2, 3 to 4. Again, I'm not going to have you turn there uh, for time's sake. But I'll read it, but... Paul's writing Timothy and exhorts him to pray for kings and everyone in, in authority, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says this, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in that context, the very next verse is going to say Jesus Christ was given as a ransom in our... He goes on to say the words of truth that need to be known are the gospel. Jesus lived the life we couldn't, the perfect life. He died the death we deserved. He was buried and raised again. And Jesus alive says, if you trust what I've done for you, believe it, trust it, rest in it. You see, your sins are forgiven. You're clothed in my righteousness and we will be with God forever. And eternal life begins right now in knowledge with God, you see. That's what matters most. Well, the question we have then is how clear is that? How clear is that which matters most in our Bibles? Well, I want to show you a story. Uh, Brandon Addison is uh, our uh, inversion pastor. It's pastor of young, young adults, young professionals. And also Brandon came on just in the last year to be our uh, launch pastor for Fellowship South Nashville. We want, to, we want a location in South Nashville. God's leading us in that direction. And Brandon's going to be launching that. And he's got a story that I think... Uh, illustrates, reminds us of this truth. What matters most is most clear. Yeah, the story about God is he looked for me and I wasn't necessarily looking for him. Uh, I was your typical 16-year-old playing basketball. Basketball was a big thing growing up in our family. Uh, a brother was the number two point guard behind Anthony Hardaway in the city of Memphis and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And I remember my, my first basketball year in high school just uh, just not meeting reality. Having an okay season but not a great season. And I remember driving home one day from basketball practice listening to the radio and this song came on the radio this tagline that said, why do all the shimmers in this world fade away? And it's got me curious, curious about, yeah, what lasts, what doesn't last. And it's a simple song lyric, but it just was a depth charge going off within me. And I began to ask those questions. And um, 
a few months later, I found a Bible on my friend's bookshelf. It's one of those blue-bound teen study Bibles, brand new. I said, can I borrow it? He's like, absolutely. I knew it was one of those ceremonial Bibles he got because I picked it up and opened it and heard the, the spine creak and crack when I opened it for the first time. And I flipped to the index and it said, start with the book of John and then read the book of Acts. And so that's what I began to do, just began to read the book of John for the first time. Just as a 16-year-old, really resonating with what was going on about the life of Jesus, who he was, turning water into wine, and every night from 9 to 9.30 I'd read, read the Bible. Wasn't telling anybody, religion wasn't a big part of my home, we didn't go to church, I was just captivated. And I said, this has got to be different than your American short stories you read early on. Just began to self-examine too, do I believe who scripture says this person is? And read and continued, got to the crucifixion and resurrection and ended up going, yeah, I believe what scripture says about Christ, that he is the son of God and um, I'm broken and busted and, and ended up just coming to faith reading that um, at the conclusion of it. And surprisingly, I didn't know what to do. I became a Christian through the word, but didn't know where to go. So I just kept on reading scripture. I went to the book of Acts and over the course of months, Finally, one of my friends said, hey, you should come to church with me. I'm like, that's a great idea. And so there's a church right across the street from my high school, and I remember walking in, expecting something old and wrote, and what I found out was really refreshing to me, that what I read about, people sung about it, and they prayed, and they actually believed in God. Like, adults believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, and I didn't have a category for that, I thought. Man, how did I miss this? In a city that's got more churches and gas stations, how did I miss this story? And I began to tell my story and found that it wasn't the most common story um, in faith or in life for somebody to read scripture and come to faith without hearing a teacher or a mediator or a professional. But it's true. And late, years later, I, I remember reading Isaiah about God's word not returning to him void and go, that's it. That's my experience. It's true that God's word is fruitful and powerful and I go back to my experience and even when I think about that day with my story hearing the song on the radio that's not circumstance that's not happenstance um, that's the faithfulness of God that he was drawing me to himself and the beautiful thing is is that he still does that today he's still faithful to his word to draw people to him How clear is it? Clear enough. Why are you here today? Pro, you know, circumstance happens. No, no, no. You're here for a reason, even sitting in this room. When he mentions, came to faith, I want you to understand salvation is more than even your moment of salvation. Now, the Bible has salvation, helps us understand it in these three categories. We're justified, we're sanctified, and we're going to be glorified one day. That's all salvation. If I, if I, let me make it a little simpler and say it in this way. Yes, there's a moment you come to faith in Christ, but you and I remain on the planet for a reason, to grow up and be like Jesus more and more, to get to know him more and more. Uh, let me simplify it like this. What matters most, is, it's at least these two things that you know God through Jesus and that you grow in that relationship till you take your last breath. See, that's what matters most. And the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture says 
that those two things are most clear. There's some stuff that's not so clear. Those two are most clear in our Bibles. We can know what's needed to know God and grow in that relationship with others. Some things are clearer than others. What matters most is most clear. And then a third point under this historical perspective, what can't be known perfectly can be known sufficiently. What you can't know perfectly, listen, you can know it sufficiently. The Bible, let's just put this, we're falling in love with reality. This Bible cannot be known perfectly. Not this side of heaven. (laughs) You won't know it perfectly. But you can know it sufficiently. I hope this takes the pressure off of some. And I hope for some in the room, it causes you to pump your brakes a little bit. What do I mean by that? Take the pressure off. Some of us sit here, I, I believe this, Week after week, maybe. And you know what? You, you, you might feel a little embarrassed. Like I say, turn to Deuteronomy and you don't know where to go. Or I say something and one of the, Bob says something and someone says something and you're going, I bet everybody in the room knows that from the Bible but me and I can't understand it. And do you understand? We're all like that. And we don't know it perfectly and that's not even why we study it. It's to know it sufficiently but not perfectly. You won't decide if heaven. I hope that just relieves the weight off of you to allow you to engage with the Bible, not in a way that says, I got to take a test on this when I die and I got to know it all. Not at all. But it can give me hope for today. And then, secondly, cause you to pump the brakes because I do think there's some, myself included at times, that demand answers that the Bible will not yield. It's, it's not going to answer your questions, not all of them. Not this side of heaven. It's a great reminder. Isaiah said it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Thank God I don't know it all, and I can't know it all. And thank God that what I need to know, I can know. Do you ever think about this? If you knew it all, if you could answer all the mysteries of the world, and what would that make you? And I think it would make you God, and there's not room for you. We have God who knows all. What can't be known perfectly can be known sufficiently. There's the historical perspective, okay? Now I want to quickly hit... Uh, the, the biblical foundation. And it's a real simple question. Does the Bible say it's clear? We're asking this question through the series. What does the Bible say about itself? Because that's the most important thing we can know about the Bible. Well, does the Bible say it's clear? Absolutely. Turn in your Bibles. It's just one passage I'm going to have you go to a little longer. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14. You can follow along in your Bibles. You can read it on the screen behind me. But listen, listen for the assumption that Moses makes, in other words, that God makes as these words are written. Moses writes, for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Contrast, but the word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, that you may observe it. I mean, a clear assumption is you got it. 
You don't need someone to go get it from some faraway place. It's there. You can observe it and live it. Remember Deuteronomy 6? We always recite Deuteronomy 6 when we do baby dedications. You know, that passage says, teach these words to your kids. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. That clearly assumes that not the priests, not the scholars, but he's talking to the moms and dads of the day, of that day, could know the words of God. How else do you teach them to the kids? Now follow that just one step further. That assumes that children can know the Bible. Clearly. I've asked every service that I've taught this message in to do something. We don't do this every week, but let me say this. If you've got kids in the learning center back here, today when you pick your child up, would you look the volunteer in the eyes, the the, the teacher, volunteer, those there, and thank them for teaching your child, your children, the words of God. You understand, uh, Marty and his team, Connie and the team, they don't babysit during this hour. They're not back there stuffing crackers in their mouth, trying to walk and begin to be quiet, you know, all that. They have a very formal, quite frankly, curriculum that is the, the story of God, the very concepts of the gospel, age appropriate so that little mind that hadn't developed enough can only get it like this, but that mind of a fifth grader that can get it, it's developed like, to guide them toward the truth and the truth of the gospel. And, and I think it's just utterly right for us to go thank you and to thank them for teaching our kids the word. And it's a wonderful reminder, is it not? Well, the thing's got to be clear <laughs> if they're back there teaching four-year-olds, five-year-olds the word. Yes, it is clear. Well, how about from the New Testament? Does the New Testament say it's clear? I'm just going to read one little quote that I think we could say a bunch, but I think this captures it. Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite theologians, in his systematic theology writes this, and listen to the implications. He says, in a day when it's common for people to tell us how hard it is to interpret Scripture rightly, we would do well to remember that not once in the Gospels Do we ever hear Jesus saying anything like this? Quote, I see how your problem arose. The scriptures are not very clear on that subject. End quote. He never says that. What does he always say? You ever think about the words Jesus says when somebody comes and says, how about this law? He says, have you not read? (laughs) Do you see what's written? What's the assumption? Read it. (laughs) It makes sense. Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, to the church at Philippi. He's not writing to the scholars, give this to the unlearned, help them understand it. No, he just writes it to them. He says, by the way, after you guys have read it, hey, give it to your friends. And they can read it because it is absolutely clear. That's a historical perspective. There's biblical foundation. Now I'm going to ask you in the practical implications I'm going to ask you to participate, okay? I'm actually going to ask you to stand up where you are, some of you to participate and read words of Scripture because my spiritual, and, my spiritual health and yours, you see, is not utterly dependent upon me, the teacher teaching you. It's just as equally dependent upon we, the people, personally, Reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, 
And yes, interpreting the Bible and going, this is what it means and this is how I live. And then we, the people, coming together like this, you know, this is not, and you do it in other settings too, but you actually sit with each other and you go, this is what God says. This is what the Word says. You see, we actually do it with each other. And this is how we grow. How do we say it at fellowship? This is how we mature. It's part of the ways we mature in the faith by reminding each other of these truths. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another with these words. What words? These words. <laughs> these words from the Bible. Now, we're going to do it in two parts. First, I'm going to ask you to do something, and then I'm going to invite you to actually read. But first thing I want you to do as we apply, we're just going to live it, okay? If it's clear, let's live it. I want you to think about a challenge in your life right now. You don't have to think hard because you were thinking about it before you came in. You've been fighting to get it off your mind so that you can sing and you can listen. You'll carry it when you walk out. You've got a challenge in your life. It's a, let's call it a problem, a spiritual struggle of faith, whatever it is. And it's that thing that you're going, God, I need you to eliminate that. God, I need you to solve that. God, I need you to fix this. You see, it's that, we, and, and you know what? Here's the thing. We've got 20 of them. But I just want you to think of one. You got it in your head? Just, just get one in your mind, in your mind's eye. You got one. And now I want you to take your Bibles. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come on down. You see these guys have microphones. And, you know, they're going to hand you a mic if you raise your hand. And all I'm going to ask you to do is just say, you know, 1 Thessalonians 3, 9. Read it. That's all you got to do. Just read the word. A clear word. A word, let me, let me re, 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 reemphasize this. Don't read a word that we all go, what did that mean? <laughs> okay, because they're in there. Uh, a clear word. It could be a promise, a biblical truth. Y'all, it might be something that you've memorized, you know, and it's, so you don't even have to read it from your Bible. You just recite it. You just say it over us and, and to us. Again, why would, Lloyd, why are you doing this? Okay, it's clear. Why are you doing this? Well, because I need it. And you need it. And there's someone sitting near you that, that needs to hear that word. And there's someone on the far side of the room that I believe in the providence of God needs that word. And it's not just from me, but from each other. And so as you stand up, you're going to get a mic. And I'm just going to point at you. You read it, sit down. I'm going to point at you. You read it, sit down. We'll just, we'll just hit a number of these across the room, okay? So if, you'd, if you want to speak that word, just raise your hand, and we're going to give you a microphone, and then we're just going to keep going. So slip your hand up, and, and we'll give that to you. And then a number of us will go. Luke, go. And anyone else raise their hand, get the microphone to you, because you're going to go uh, right after he does. Thank you. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Romans eight twenty four and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen, what, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
We wait for it with patience. I'm really bad at addresses. It's okay. <laughs> but I know the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change. And again, he says in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, mm-hmm. today, and forever. And in Revelations, he says, he is the one who is faithful and true. Mm-hmm. Thanks, babe. Uh, Psalm 73, uh, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Mm-hmm. Matthew six twenty five. Uh, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Mm. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not more clothe you, O you of little faith? Mm-hmm. Carthy. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried out for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came on down. Mm -hmm. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. He sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. Mm -hmm. Last two. We'll go right here and then we'll go right here. Last two. Acts seventeen twenty six and God has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from any of us, mm. for in Him we live and move and have our being. Mm. Sarah. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Mm. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Mm -hmm. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Now, let me remind you what we've been learning through the whole series. You cannot separate the word of God from the presence of God and the power of God. So that what just happened is not just words read. (laughs) You have words of God, you see. The presence of God here. The power of God at work right, right now in this moment. Such that the challenge you held and you're going, God, I need you to... This is the word for that, you see. And our greatest challenge is not that the challenge go away. It's not that the problem, Jesus, solve this problem for me and I'll be better. It's, that's not our greatest challenge, our greatest need. Our greatest need is that in the midst of the struggle, the hardship, the challenge, we experience the presence and the power of God. He's with us. He's for me. Even in this, though it doesn't go away, he'll use it for my good and his glory. That's the great challenge of faith for all of us with this. It's not fix this. No, it's you're with me in this and you're present with me. Through this. And that's the word of God for each one of us. See, there's a battle that's raging right now. It was raging before you walked in here. It was raging for a long time. It'll be raging to the day you die. Genesis 3, don't turn there, but in the day when the earth had no sin, there was no fall. All was good and well. Genesis 3.1 tells us, God's word says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And Satan said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? The first attack on humanity was on the clarity of the word. Do you think Satan put that away and is doing new things today? No. So that even as you sat here with that challenge in your life and mine, and you heard these words come, and Sarah reads about God's use, you heard this. See, there's, there's that word, but then there's that other word that says, indeed, as God said, did God really say that? James says that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. It's not that Satan's roar is like this. Roar! You know, that's not his roar. Can I suggest that the roar of Satan is actually this? Has God really said that? You know, Proverbs says a whisper goes real deep. I think he whispers real deep. Did Did God say what Carthy just read? I mean, all you have to do is flip a word in that phrase because he goes, indeed, has God said. And all you do is flip one word. Indeed, God has said, you see. And so what do we need? We actually need each, you need more than me. You need each other to actually sit alongside each other to be wherever you are in life and to look at one another and go, indeed, God has said. Because we're constantly getting whispered, has he said? No, he has said. Make it declarative. Because it's true and it's trustworthy. And we need to do what we just did. 
day in, day out with one another. Let's stand. Last standing as you leave. I could send you out with a number of words, but I want to send you with a clear one. We've already mentioned it a couple times. Brandon even referred to it in his story of reading the Bible, coming to faith. May this word, may we hear it clearly. And by the power of the Spirit, man, may we believe it fully and rest in it. He says, Isaiah 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing that what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And I don't think it's an accident that the fruit of that word, even in the passage, says, for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. God bless.